0: Thank you, worship
1: team.
0: I want to uh, start out by welcoming you all here today. My name is Steve Marici, and uh, senior evangelist here in our coastal Los Angeles region. Super grateful for the opportunity I have to serve here in South Bay. I want to thank DK. Um, Amen. How many of you in the audience have been either in foster care at some point in time in your life or adopted? There's a few of you out there. I, you know, with, with the uh, series that we're doing called Relationship, one of the components is connectivity. And I, I don't know what it is. If you're not adopted or if you haven't been in foster care, you're probably never going to get it. But there's this natural affinity and connectivity for people that have gone through it. And I appreciate his vulnerability, I really appreciate what he shares. But I think the thing is even so much more significant. And I, I, I'm going to, this is one man's opinion. But I think for those of us that have been through those systems that have been adopted, the significance of being adopted into God's family surpasses, again, I think anything any of you can understand. And I'm just so incredibly grateful for what God has done for me personally, for DK, for those of you that maybe didn't have a father at some point in time in your life. But God is amazing. Amen? Amen. You know, we're uh, going to continue in our series, uh, Relationship. Uh, Brian talked about relationships, connectivity, Uh, defined friendship for us last week, but kind of what the perspective or the view of that is today in light of all of our electronics and social media. You know, the numerics of Facebook. You talked about how he had 5,000 Facebook friends and had to establish a whole other Facebook page so he could actually connect with those that he would actually feel fall within that realm of those closer relationships. Uh, Today, the uh, title of the message is, Bluetooth, or Bluetooth, with that, kind of a play on the uh, word Bluetooth there, what is Bluetooth? Yeah, I mean, the, the simplest way of putting it, Marshall could probably give us a, a much longer extended version of all the uh, actual technology behind it, but it's just basically the means of all of our wireless devices talking to each other, connectivity there, and uh, It's interesting how that technology has really changed up our lives on so many different fronts. I did want to mention, too, we've got kind of an abyss in here today. You may or may not know it, our teens and uh, the teen leadership group is at a a teen retreat down in San Diego, Palomar, actually, this weekend. So probably not going to be as lively as it normally is, but uh, I'm just going to put it out there. (laughs) I wasn't saying or implying anything there, it's just that our teens are very lively and energetic. You know, we kind of we got a different perspective on age this morning, too. I, I'm glad to know that uh, DK at the age of 21 was in the middle. <laughs> I don't know what that means to the rest of us that aren't quite there, but uh, anyway, there's a woman by the name of uh, Sherry Turtle who uh, has studied uh, electronic technology and the psychology behind it and... The connectivity and all these different devices and the impact that it has. And she's actually interviewed hundreds of people when it comes to, again, social media, uh, cell phones, smartphones, texting, email, all the different forms of communication we have today. And the study revealed that our devices are so psychologically powerful, they don't really change what we do, but they change who we are doesn't just change what we do, but it changes who we are. It is scary. You know, there's things we do now with our devices that 10 years ago we never would have ever dreamed about doing. And I'm not talking about from technology, but certain things like social etiquette, it's just amazing the things that take place in that realm today. I was listening to uh, the news this morning, and they're talking about how Facebook, and I've not known it to, you know, this to be new necessarily, but how there is the largest trend ever, maybe it's because the numerics are larger than they ever have been, but there is the larger trend ever when it comes to toxicity, and that there are more people unfriending one another today because of the current political climate in our country than ever before, friends unfriending friends. With that, I've got a video I would like to show you this morning, and again, again, when it comes to the things that we do, just kind of ponder what you're seeing on the screen here, We'll we'll pick it up here in a moment. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see.
1: Text or do email during corporate (laughs) board (laughs)
0: meetings. It flickered. I saw it.
1: Text and shop and go on Facebook during classes, during presentations. Actually during all meetings. People talk to me about the important new skill of making eye contact while you're texting. (laughs) People explain to me that it's hard, but that it can be done. Parents text and do email at breakfast and at dinner while their children complain about not having their parents' full attention, but then these same children deny each other their full attention. This is a recent shot of my daughter and her friends being together while not being together. And we even text at funerals. I study this. We remove ourselves from our grief or from our reverie, and we go into our phones. Why does this matter? It matters to me because I think we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Trouble certainly in how we relate to each other, but also trouble in how we relate to ourselves, in our capacity for self-reflection. We're getting used to a new way of being alone together. People want to be with each other, but also elsewhere connected to all the different places they want to be. People want to customize their lives. They want to go in and out of all the places they are because the thing that matters most to them is control over where they put their attention. So you want to go to that board meeting, but you only want to pay attention to the bits that interest you. And some people think that's a good thing. But you can end up hiding from each other even as we're all constantly connected to each other. A 50-year-old businessman laments to me that he feels he doesn't have colleagues anymore at work. When he goes to work, he doesn't stop by to talk to anybody, he doesn't call, and he says he doesn't want to interrupt his colleagues because he says they're too busy on their email. But then he stops himself and he says, you know, I'm not telling you the truth. I'm the one who doesn't want to be interrupted. I think I should want to, but actually, I'd rather just do things on my Blackberry. Across the generations, I see that people can't get enough of each other if and only if they can have each other at a distance in amounts they can control. I call it the Goldilocks effect. Not too close, not too far, just right. But what might feel just right for that middle-aged executive can be a problem for an adolescent who needs to develop face-to-face relationships. An 18-year-old boy who uses texting for almost everything says to me wistfully, someday, someday, but certainly not now, I'd like to learn how to have a conversation. When I ask people, What's wrong with having a conversation? People say, I'll tell you what's wrong with having a conversation. It takes place in real time, and you can't control what you're going to say. So that's the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. And that means we get to retouch the face, the voice, the flesh, the body. Not too little, not too much, just right. Human relationships are rich and they're messy and they're demanding. And we clean them up with technology. And when we do, one of the things that can happen is that we sacrifice conversation for mere connection. We shortchange ourselves. And over time, we seem to forget this, or we seem to stop caring.
0: A few sobering thoughts there. One of the, uh, one of the favorite ones for me is um, the whole bit with eye contact, perfecting the skill of eye contact while texting. I really don't care how good I get at it, I don't think I'm going to get buy-in from my wife. You know, the Goldilocks effect. Not too close, not too far, not too little, not too much, just right. Is that a real connection? You know, I, I, there's one thing that I do disagree with her on. She talked about the fact that so much reliance is on the, the current technology because there's control there. We can edit, we can delete, we can change the way it looks because we can't control what we say. Well, I don't agree with her on that, because I believe personally, since I've become a Christian, and I have like-minded people in my life that take the scriptures to heart, I can converse in real time, and may not always go the way that I want to. You know, there's these emotions that I have, one of which is anger. Sometimes I say some stupid things, but I can get help with the stupidity of what it is that's come out of my mouth so I can do a better job in communicating going forward. In this realm of modern technology, we're never going to get to where we need to get if this is what we're relying on. You know, it's really interesting today when it comes to social media. Social media allows people to live deceived lives. There's no real connection. There's no real vulnerability. When it comes to blue truth walking in the light... What is the impact of truth in our lives? And I think that's the thing that we've got to be really careful with, is that that's the degree of connection that's missing. Social media has produced a new profession. Yeah. Whoops, it was actually up there. And it used to be just a matter of, you know, if, if you were going to be on TV, you were in a show, you were, you know, you'd have, or you're a high-powered executive, you might have a personal buyer that takes care of your clothes and Lays everything out for you, coordinates everything all the way through. My wife used to be professional within that realm years ago. Uh, so personal shopping, styling, fashion, wardrobe, fashion design, selfie editor. That's a new one. It's an actual thing. Talk about it in a minute. Media management, media consultants, makeovers, beauty industry, cosmetics, apparel, all these things. It's just crazy where we're going today. A couple quotes for you. Kristen Borsch. A social media image manager consultant says, I love laughing and connecting with people. There's nothing more rewarding for me than helping someone portray the character they'd like to become. Intention is everything in a world where image says it's all. Style. This is uh, Rachel Zoe, image consultant. Style is a way to say who you are without having to speak. You know, I wonder, I just, for whatever reason, when I read this quote, that, that scene from The Matrix where Neo's mouth disappeared, I mean, is that something we're going to involve into at some point in time? You know, we don't talk anymore, so who needs a mouth, right? And then uh, uh, Lori Thomas Ross, she says, branding isn't just for businesses anymore. Learn how to manage the way you're perceived online and off in this course that she has. This course with marketing experts that deal with professional profile pictures, stage backdrops, the ability to modify and Photoshop our image. Or you could be like uh, a lot of people today. It's amazing. This industry is just going crazy. People hire personal image managers for their Twitter accounts, it's a real thing. Two to $4,000 a month. Individuals, Facebook, managers, and we're talking not for companies, but an individual's personal image, 4500 to $9,000 a month. Again, It just keeps getting crazier. According to the Wall Street Journal about a month ago, Facebook surpassed the $300 billion mark in market capitalization. They overtook GE. GE makes hard product. They sell connection. It just, it just boggles my mind. It's crazy. No hard product, $300 billion a year. Anybody ever hear of uh, Kim Kardashian? <laughs> Somebody, okay, whoever said that, go easy. Kim spends about $20,000 a month on social image management. She spends $100,000 a year on a selfie retoucher. You ever wonder why her selfies look so good? There you go, I guess that's the reason. She spends a million dollars annually on her beauty regimen. But I don't want you to feel bad. She receives $10,000 per tweet. Now, mind you, her Twitter account is basically advertising and endorsing other products for people. But she receives for any company who she puts their name out there, $10,000 a tweet. That's about $70 per character out of the 140 characters you used to be allowed on Twitter. Her own personal app makes $700,000 per day. She has a beauty regimen app that all kinds of things tied to different sites where she markets product that she endorses. Now, oh, and you know, again, in light of what she's paying out per, per, per month on Image. She makes about $85 million annually. So again, I don't want you to feel too bad. Can any of us compete with this? But do we see a trend that this is where things are going in society today? Conversation versus connection. You know, when you think about all the technology we have, is society any better today? People aren't more connected at all. They're just better informed. And sometimes the information they're informed with is questionable based on all the sources that we have out there. I mean, anybody can go on Wikipedia and put information in, change information. So what is our source on anything really today that's authentic? There for sure isn't any authentic connection. So what is blue truth versus blue tooth? Blue truth has to do with the impact of truth in our lives. Realness, being authentic, and how that relates to our connectivity with Christ. So regarding Christ, let's go ahead and turn to 1 John 2, verse 4. 1 John 2, verse 4. It says, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. Do you know Jesus today as you sit here? The true Jesus. And really, when we think about society today and networking and everything, isn't it really all about who we know? So with that, I want to uh, I would imagine a few of you here know David Bowie. Yeah. David Bowie, uh, from a musical standpoint, had a huge influence on me and uh, throughout pretty much his run. I mean, just such a diversified bunch of songs, really an amazing artist and performer. I can give you all kinds of details on Bowie's life and accomplishments. 25 studio albums, eight live albums, over 50 compilations. And hundreds of singles and soundtracks. You know, some of my favorites, uh, Space Oddity. uh, Less dance during that wonderful, fun period of the 80s. I know, I'm dating myself, whatever. (laughs) He's had over 50 appearances in movies. Pontius Pilate in uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. More currently, Tesla in the movie The Prestige with uh, Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. Numerous TV shows, including Twin, Twin Peaks. He did a voiceover of an emperor in an episode of SpongeBob, Square, or SpongeBob SquarePants. Got a quote that I'd like to share from Bowie. He says, I've made over 25 albums, and I think probably I've made two real stinkers in my time. Some not bad albums, and then some really good albums. I'm proud of what I've done. In fact, it's been a good ride. As you get older, the questions come down to about two or three. How long and what do I do with the time I've got left? You know, I think when it comes to what David Bowie accomplished, I, I feel bad just kind of reading some of the, the things that took place later in his life and that he was a soul-searching. He was a self-proclaimed agnostic, but realizing that there was something greater out there. Uh, his last couple of videos are incredibly disturbing as he wrestled with his last days. And when it gets right down to it, I've got this knowledge of Bowie, but how significant is that? I mean, I can share what I've read and watched and listened to over my lifetime. I can't say that I ever really knew him. I can't even say I knew anybody that knew him. I know some of the facts, or what are some of the perceived facts, but I don't know the person. When it gets down to Jesus Christ... I think it can be very similar in a lot of different ways. There There are many of us here that may be in the same position. What we think we know when it comes to Jesus. Or we could say that we know what the Bible says. We could say that we know who Jesus was or is. We may even say that we met Jesus once. But do we really know Jesus? And I think in light of the passage that was read earlier this morning, it is something that's exemplified in our conduct. How many of us can honestly say, I know Jesus. I know God. I currently have a friendship or relationship with him. And hopefully there's a lot of you in this room that can claim that. If we're honest, we all can look back over our lives and see that, you know, maybe there have been times where we were more focused on the do's and don'ts of our faith than our faith. And when the do's and don'ts were stronger than our faith which obviously has implications for the relationship. Connection to why we do it. That is relationship. Understanding what Jesus has done for us. That's where the connectivity should come from. Blue truth. You know, there's a term that you don't hear much today, and I'm wondering if maybe it falls into the realm of what we've got with social media. Remember hearing the term true blue? You know, such and such is a true blue friend. How many of you remember hearing that? Because I'm really curious right now. Okay, it's a large enough percentage of the group. I'm wondering if that's gone away because of the condition of relationships today. How many of us have true blue friends? You know, we've got a lot of Facebook friends, but how many of us have true blue friends? True blue, true blue, yeah, true blue. Say that three times. it's actually it's a, it's defined in the dictionary. True dash blue, friend, staunch, loyal, faithful, stalwart, committed, confirmed, devoted, dedicated, firm, steadfast, unswerving, unwavering, unfaltering. Doesn't that sound like Jesus Christ? You know, I know that I've stumbled. You know, haven't we all stumbled at one point in time in our Christian walk? And I've lost connectivity at times. Haven't we all struggled or caring more about what people would say rather than what God would think? So we get off the path. Haven't we all been caught up with doing things for him, for God, and spend, instead of spending time with God? Have we all not lost our focus at some time or another and thought, you know, I'll, I'll, if I just do this, Jesus, will you, and you fill in the blank. If I do this, if I don't do that, Jesus, will you just fill in the blank? And I think this downward spiral from relationship to rules can be common. Some of us break free of it. But others of us can be caught up in that box where we never shake free of that bondage to whatever the form of sin or whatever it was that was controlling us in this world that Satan wants to keep us chained to. You know, from the bondage of sin to the bondage of rules, guys, that's not a step up. But I think sometimes we can believe the lie that it's easier to gauge our faith by how well we follow a set of rules instead of how well you keep in step with where the Spirit leads us. I think there's a, there's a natural tendency to stick to do's and don'ts, because sometimes that's more tangible for us. But sooner or later, our faith becomes not knowing God, but by knowing the tricks of the trade. So look at a passage that uh, in here in 1 John 2, verse 3, that speaks of knowing God and walking with Jesus. 1 John 2, verse 3. It says, This is how we know, or this is how we are sure that we have come to know him. By keeping his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who, remain, who says he remains in him should walk just as Jesus walked. This shows us that obedience is a sign of genuine faith. Walking where Jesus leads us is proof that we know him. But just thinking about this passage, would you guys agree sometimes it's hard to know where God's taking us, where God's leading us? Sometimes God's will is a clear yes or no. But then there are those times where I'm not sure exactly what God wants me to do. I would imagine, again, we can relate to this. I'm not quite sure where God's leading me or what he wants me to do. And sometimes the preconceived rules and laws don't fit in neatly with a walking, talking relationship. So what do we do in a situation like that? How do we walk with God? Since obeying Him is proof of our faith, what do we do if we aren't sure of His exact will for us? You know, I would imagine most of us have asked these questions of ourselves. And they're tough questions. But it's important to stand on the truth of the Bible. What the Bible says about who God is. And ultimately, the better we know God, who God is, and what He is like, the better we can walk with Him and keep pace with Him. You know, the first truth about God that will help us walk with him is this. God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, verse 8. And it's kind of interesting in this passage. It doesn't say that God loves. It says God is love. Whatever love is, that's what God is. His very nature is love. He will never act towards you in an unloving way. And in verse 10 of this passage, I think it's very clear we see this, and that God doesn't just love us. God is love. He came down in the flesh to die for us. He came down in the flesh to give himself away, to sacrifice everything for us so that we could have a right relationship with him. Everything he does to you and I is out of love. Now, some of us may say, Well, I can think of times where I haven't felt very loved by God. Any of you guys relate to that at all? Times where maybe you felt forgotten. Times where, thinking about myself personally, maybe He didn't grant me certain blessings that I had seen Him grant others. You know, and then you start doing the checklist. Well, they don't do that and they don't do this. And I know that's how they conduct themselves over there. And that's not what I do. That's not who I am. Where's my blessing? I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers as to why God does what he does, in particular when he does it. That's my biggest quandary is his timing sometimes. But that's why I have to go back to my blue truth connection with the Bible. Hebrews 12 verse 6 says, Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as his son. So, I mean, you know, just even thinking about this conceptually. So even in correcting me, even in correcting us, It's because of his love for me. It's his love for us. You know, I've heard it said that God does not allow things to happen, or God does or does not allow things to happen, not to get back at us, but to bring us back. You know, there's another verse that talks about his love in 1 John 3, 16. says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, that means no matter what this world throws at us, I mean, it doesn't matter what we're going through, what's going on, we can be confident of his love for us. Amen. There's an author, Henry Blackaby, who writes, your trust in the love nature of God is crucial. This has been a powerful influence in my own life. I never look on circumstances without seeing them on the backdrop of the cross. You know, I've I just got to hold on to that one. Yeah. I think if that was the backdrop of everything that goes on in my life, good, bad, or ugly, I'm not going to struggle. I'm not going to get off the path. I'm not going to question God for his love for me, because how do you change that backdrop? Is there anything in our lives that could supersede that backdrop of Jesus Christ on the cross? Henry continues, he says, That is where God clearly demonstrated once and for all time his deep love for me. My love relationship with God determines everything I do. Henry's got that in his quote. He says, no matter what the circumstances are, his love never changes. We've got to hold on to that. If you're not a Christian, or if you're trying to figure out how to navigate through those waters, this is something that's going to be so key to your salvation for the long haul. God always acts in love towards me, towards you. And we can be confident of this His will is always best. That means God's commands are for my good, not my frustration, but for my good. They're to help me, not to hurt me, or ruin my enjoyment of life. When God tells me to do something, it is meant to bring me back to life, not steal life from me. And this this runs totally opposite to what the world thinks of God's commands. Well, it doesn't matter, because God loves me, and He wants the best for me. I think the more that we trust him, the more that we will see his will for our lives is good for us. And then all that does is kind of predicate us continuing down the right path, continue to obey him. Because we, we see more and more of that love and that goodness. And we'll trust him more and more as we move forward. I think that's one of the benefits of age, is I can look back at all the times where I was in the midst of something that made absolutely zero sense to me. It's like, oh, that's what God was doing. Wow. It's amazing to me, too, how quickly I forget about those. You know, they say hindsight is absolutely phenomenal. It is. It's great to be able to look back. It doesn't help us a whole lot moving forward unless we continue to remember that backdrop of Jesus Christ on the cross. For those of us that are Christians and can run accused, God knows whose you are, guilty conscience and all. God is greater than our hearts, our consciences, and that's where we can derive peace from. 1 John 3, verse 24 says that those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. That's got to be something that needs to be... If the backdrop of Jesus on the cross ever comes down, this is the one that needs to go right back up. And that when Jesus died and rose from the dead because he was sinless, it ushered us into the kingdom through the waters of baptism. Our sins being forgiven, we're now a pure vessel. The Holy Spirit resides within us. God is in us. That's incredible. That's amazing. That needs to be faith-building. We all know the Spirit that we've received. Don't let your lack of knowledge or insight turn you away from trusting God. The third truth this morning. You know, and actually, the last one was the second. God is all. Oh, you know, you're right. Getting messed up my notes here. Second truth. Where are we? Uh, and I've got that already up on the screen. Okay. 1 John 3, verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, because God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He possesses all knowledge, past, present, and future. This is probably the biggest one out of the three this morning. This is the biggest one for me personally. Is I know my past. I know my present. And occasionally there's that anxiety over what comes next. But I've got to derive my confidence from the fact that God, it's done, man. The book's written, the chapter, all the chapters written, the book's closed, it's done. God knows the outcome. And I, I've got to be able to get, derive confidence from that. He possesses all knowledge. Nothing is outside of his knowledge. Therefore, he leads us, when we get into the Word, or we're in prayer, he leads us in the proper direction. And realizing that his directions are always right. When he gives you an order... You can believe that God has already considered every single factor, every single outcome of whatever that's going to be taking place within that. Our knowledge is limited. And our vision into the future is 100% totally non-existent. Sometimes we don't understand his ways or his timings. We don't see what he's doing. We We just need to tap out and say, you know what, God, I get it. You are in control. You've got the knowledge. You've got the power. So trusting him when it doesn't look reasonable... It can be challenging. It can be hard. But as we walk with Him, connect with Him, we get to look back upon our lives and see His hand moving in our lives. You know, I can look back at the hard times of my life and see that they were for my good. There, there, There were times where I wanted nothing else than to be rid of those situations at the time. I think one of the most challenging ones for me ever was when my son left the faith. Didn't get it. You know, and you start doing those stupid checklists. Well, God, I did this for you, and I did that for you, and you know, it reminds me of that song, For Those Tears I Died. I mean, is there anything that I can do for God other than love Him the way that He's loved me? But, you know, I, I just, it, it, when, when it hits that close, when you lose a loved one, in this case, lose a loved one spiritually, you start projecting out, oh, well, what the heck? What, what he, what's heaven going to be like without my kid? It's hard. But I look back, and it's like, oh my gosh, God worked amazing. Why would I even second-guess him? You know, I look at the situation today with the incredible woman that he brought to the faith after he came back to the faith. And the little granddaughter we've got, and his love for God, and the fact that he was just hired full-time down in Long Beach. I mean, with everything he's seen in our household, 20-something years of ministry, why in heaven's name would he decide to go into the ministry? I don't get it! I honestly do not get it. But I'm grateful. And, and, and this, is the, the, this is why we've got to be surrendered to God. God knows the outcome. It's amazing how we can derail it, though, by not being faithful, not, not leaving things that should belong in his hands in his hands. The third truth this morning is about God, and it will help us walk with him continually, and that third truth of God is that he's all-powerful. Theologians call it omnipotence. You got kind of a cool ring to it, right? Yeah. The omnipotent one. Hebrews 2, verse 14. It says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. You know, D.K. talked about that in his communion in Romans. How... Jesus, through Jesus Christ, the power of death, the devil, fear of death, is something that was taken away through Christ. Jeremiah 32 says that, All sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God's power has no limits. And you know, this is something that we've really got to understand and embrace, and that this matters to us because it means that God, when he asks us to do something, He'll make sure it can be done before it's asked. It means he will enable you to accomplish his will. It means that he won't lead you anywhere that his power can't keep you. Now, does that mean that we'll never mess up? I wish it did, (laughs) but it doesn't. Does it mean that we'll never grow tired? No. But it doesn't mean that if God tells you to do something, that he will make sure that you have enough strength to do it. The Bible says he can keep you from falling. Not you can keep yourself from falling. It says he can keep you from falling. So when we fall, the problem is not God's. It's ours. We may have been trying to do it on our own strength, and we've run out of our own strength. But most certainly, God did not run out of his. When this happens, this can be the best way to find God. You know, DK talked about that. We go through these challenging times Sometimes we lose sight of what an amazing God we have, and we can get off the beaten path. But when we start running out of our own strength and we have enough humility to realize that we've been running on our own strength, it turns us back into the right direction. When this happens, this can be the best way to find God, when we run out of our own strength, and he's there to help us with it. So what do, what do these mean? How does knowing his love, his omniscience, his omnipotence, how does that help us to walk as Jesus did? You know, this is some of the scriptures we saw at the beginning of the lesson today. Picture for a moment a life of faith, walking with Jesus, this incredible spiritual journey. Picture it as a little kid perched up on a diving board. You know, the tall, whatever they are, 9-meter, 10-meter platform, high dive. He knows that to do what his burning heart is telling him to do, that, that leap... It's challenging. You know, that, that, that jumping into the, into the pool, the, the deep end, the unknown. That, that little child knows there's some risk and there's those fears that build up. Part of it's just the unknown. What's going to happen when I hit the water? And what will the child do? What would you do if you felt this burning desire in your heart to take a risk and leap out into the unknown? I've got a little video I want to show us for a moment. We'll, we'll pick it up here in a second. We get the uh,
1: volume. Come <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm on don't be scared. <laughs> Go Alright, sure, stop filming him. It's not nice of me to film you. He's scared. Oh, come on,
0: tell him to come. Tell him not to be scared. We might want to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's on YouTube, so you know you can check it out later. Any of you feeling anxious there at all? It reminds me of some of the things I've gone through as kids, and it's amazing. You got all these wonderful people encouraging you to do something totally stupid. <laughs> Just jump! Come on! You know, all the kids in the background doing the countdown and the whole bit. And then his dad's all, you know, you hear him kind of chattering about what he needs to do and not be afraid. And it's like, Dude, Dad, I don't see you up there on that platform. <laughs> What's up with that? You know, and there are those wonderful failed attempts there. But, you know, a lot of times that's what it gets down to. You know, for those of you studying the Bible, I, I know we got some in our mix today. They're getting ready to make that leap. And it, it may seem you know, a little intimidating, there might be a few little emotions in there, but realizing that, you know what, the connectivity we have here isn't like the connectivity we have in the world. This means something. There's true relationships. There's one anothering. People that are willing to get in there and climb up the pa- platform and jump with you if that's what it's going to take. You know, uh, where Rather than all the, 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 those wonderful, encouraging individuals that were down there on the side of the pool. Some, sometimes God calls us to take the leap not knowing for sure where it's going to take us. You know, we we heard the, I think it was the mom, don't look down! (laughs) It's probably good input in a situation like that before you jump. Make the assessment and then don't look. Just jump. And what's awesome about this is that God is calling us to jump off the diving board, but the difference is, unlike all the individuals that we're cheering our young man on, he's going to be in the pool waiting there for you, with his arms wide open. Now, because he is love, you can believe that his will is always best. Because there's amazing love for you, it is best for you to jump into his arms. And because he is all-knowing, omniscient, you can believe that his directions for you to jump into his arms are right and good. Because he is all-powerful and omnipotent, you can believe that he is strong enough to hold you when you trust and obey him. But understand this, you still have to jump. In order for you to trust in him and love for him, to grow in him, you still have to jump. And that's where most of us, especially sometimes as older Christians, we stop. You know, we get up to the edge of that diving board and we look. It's not no way, dude. <laughs> that ain't helping it. I was stupid to even get up on this platform. We admit it's too hard before we've really even engaged. And we get content to just learn about him and gather knowledge about him. And then we miss diving straight into the arms of the one who loves us most. You know, I'm, I'm really encouraged this morning. We've got two individuals with us here today. Antonio Morgan and Victoria Martinez are going to be taking that jump. <laughs> check, with your, uh, check with your community groups on that. There's two different baptisms, two different places today, but... It's just awesome to know that they've decided to make Jesus Christ Lord of their wives and they they understand what that means. It's just not about knowledge, it's about even what they've experienced here. There is true relationship, there's the ability to have true blue friends in this Bluetooth generation. You know, I appreciate DK in his heart this morning. You know, the vulnerability that we experienced there, his his willingness to take that one-year challenge, get up to the top of that diving platform, and here goes nothing, God, and jumped. You know, what an incredible experience. And it would have been so easy to say, you know, not me, next guy. You know, I hope over the next few weeks that as we finish up this series relationship, we'll do more than stand off to the side watching other people take leaps of faith. My prayer is that we dive right into a life of knowing God, following Jesus, and walking in the Spirit. You know, as someone who's in the business of connecting people, I've personally seen the impact that healthy relationships can have on each of us, myself included, many, many, many times through the years. My prayer is this, out of 1 John 2, verse 6. says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I'm here today because there were men and women that came into my life that were practicing this passage. I wouldn't be here today. If it wasn't for men and women that took that jump, made Jesus Lord, and then conducted themselves like Jesus. Let's leave here today choosing to connect with God on a deeper level. Choosing to leap into his arms and enjoy every minute of this crazy, exciting Christian life as we walk as Jesus did. Thank you.